The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. So all God's people said, let us rise and worship the triune God. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who are in awe of him. Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Lift up your hearts. Let's pray. Father God, you are worthy to be praised, not simply because of the great deeds which you have done in sending your son, redeeming us through his blood, resurrecting him by your mighty power and seating him at your own right hand, but you are also worthy to be praised simply because of who you are. You are holy, righteous, good, sovereign, almighty, and all glory and honor are yours by right. We praise you for both your mighty deeds and for yourself the best gift of all. So, Almighty God, we worship you now through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. And amen. amen. The 4,000 years from Adam's fall to Christ's birth were full of God's preparations to redeem us. His eternal purpose was brought about by his sovereign care over all of history's details. His preparations all culminated in a small village where a child was born in something like a barn. This was the child who had been promised to Eve who would crush Satan's head. And God is still preparing, preparing a bride for the second advent of his son. In the book of Proverbs, we're exhorted to cultivate the virtue of preparation. It's found there in a number of guises, diligence, prudence, making ready, planning ahead, providence. The slothful man is pictured as hastily living for the moment or in some sense not living at all and resulting in a shamble of an existence. Whereas the diligent man, by contrast, is rewarded with wealth and largesse. Proverbs 27, 12, a prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Proverbs 21.5, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. Proverbs 20.18, every purpose is established by counsel, and with good advice, make war. During Christmas time, we all busy ourselves with preparation. We prepare gifts, food, decorations. After all, the presents don't wrap themselves. The turkey won't cook itself. And the Christmas tree won't chop itself down and ornament itself. We arrange our schedules for the Christmas meal and we gussy up for the Christmas Eve service. This month is brimming over like your waistlines after a month of fudge, cheese, and eggnog with preparations. This season should remind us of how we ought to go about our entire life. We're always preparing. We're either preparing like the wise son of Proverbs or like the lazy fool either like a Scrooge, Grinch, couch potato, or a diligent man imitating the providence of God. See, one day you will give an account for your life. Will you be ready for that reckoning? 
Romans 3, 10 and 11 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Father God, the fool says there is no God, and then he lives accordingly. All too often, we, your people, can live like functional agnostics. We live as if we were in charge of upholding our own existence, charting our own destiny. Lord, teach us dependence upon you alone, that we might learn to live as truly free men and women. Forgive us for our collective laziness, thinking we are owed the leisures and comforts that we receive only by your goodness and kindness. May we learn to walk as diligent men, readying to meet our maker. If we in the church regard sin in our own hearts or in our own lives, we know this prayer will be ineffectual, so we confess our individual sins to you now, and Selah. We do this in Jesus' mighty name, and amen. Let us stand together for the assurance of pardon. Romans 5.15 says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. You have confessed your sins, and so as a minister of the gospel, it is my privilege to proclaim to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. And amen. Please remain standing as we read from God's word. Our sermon passage is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. These are the words of God. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of those things which were told, told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Christmas, the good news that your son Jesus has come. This does fill us with joy, 
with worship. Father, we pray also that this would fill us with courage, that the Christ has come. We ask now that even you would fill us with your spirit, because we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And amen. amen. You may be seated. So beginning this last Sunday, Chinese police have arrested more than 100 Christians in Chengdu, China. These Christians are connected with Early Rain Covenant Church. There's church leaders, their wives, college students, seminary students, teenage girls have all been arrested, including their pastor, Pastor Wang Yi and his wife. Pastor Yi has been arrested before, and knowing that he might be arrested again, he prepared a statement called, My Declaration of Faithful Disobedience. And he had his church release this letter if he has been detained more than 48 hours. Well, it has been more than 48 hours. It's been a week since anyone has heard from Pastor Yi or his wife, and I would, I would like to read the conclusion, the final three paragraphs of his statement. Separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life, and no one can raise me from the dead. And so, respectable officers, stop committing evil. I plead earnestly with you to stay your hands, for why should you be willing to pay the price of eternal damnation in hell for the sake of a lowly sinner such as I? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my King and the King of the whole earth, yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant, and I am imprisoned because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God, and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's law. Amen. I wanted to begin our sermon with Pastor Yee's words and reflect on, on our brothers and sisters because they have demonstrated courage. This is great courage that we heard and that we have seen from our brothers and sisters in China. And I believe that this season, the Christmas season, is a time that ought to give Christians courage. Because Jesus Christ has come, we ought to have a Christmas courage. And this courage is not primarily boldly waiting in to open your Christmas presents. That's not the kind of courage that we have. All right? 
the Christmas courage is because Jesus Christ is come. He is Lord. He is the King of kings. He has come. He has conquered all. Then you can have courage. You face all your life with courage. Whether it's separation from your family, whether it is pain, whether it is sickness, whether it is persecution from tyrants, false teachers, courage. Here in this story, we have a, a delightful, a joyful, a glorious meeting of two women, Mary and Elizabeth, and they are rejoicing because Jesus Christ has come. And they become courageous. The question is, how, how does this happen? What produces Christmas courage? There's three things I want to look at. And it's these women know and believe God's word about Christ's incarnation. They know God's word and they believe it. And both of these women are humble. They are humble by Jesus' coming. And in this belief and in this humility, these women become courageous because Jesus Christ has come. So as we look through this, I would like to look at Christmas courage. So if you haven't already done so, uh, please open up to Luke chapter 1. We'll begin with this story. So this is uh, beginning in verse 39. And our story begins with two very happy and unexpectedly pregnant women meeting. Right? Uh, this, if just before in the chapter, the angel Gabriel has announced to Mary who is a betrothed woman and a virgin, that she will conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. Right? That is an unexpected pregnancy. Right? Virgins don't usually become pregnant. But Gabriel also mentioned that Elizabeth, her relative, she's pregnant. And even though she has been barren for decades, she's already six months along. Another unexpected pregnancy. And Mary's just like, ah, double unexpected pregnancies. What do I got to do? I got to go up and I have to go see Elizabeth. Because like, really, who can understand what she is going through, right? So Mary rises up and she goes to visit Mary. She's up in Nazareth, kind of the north of Israel. Elizabeth lives down in the hill countries of Judah. So this is about a three or four day journey that she takes. And then Mary arrives at Zacharias and Elizabeth's home. And then a rapid series of events happens when Mary greets Elizabeth. Verse 41 says that baby John inside of Elizabeth gives a mighty leap. And then the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. And then Elizabeth blesses the Lord with a mighty voice. So, John leaps in Elizabeth when Mary gives her greeting. You think, like, this must have been a mighty leap in order to make it into scripture, right? Like, backflip twist with a little heel click or something like that, right? So, John leaps, and the, the same word for leap is used in Psalm 114.4. It describes the mountains 
skipping like rams, the hills like lambs, mountains skipping, mountains leaping. So what's going on inside of Elizabeth? It's a kind of a combination of a leaping mountain and a bucking ram inside of her. Poor woman. But Gabriel, the angel, has already told Zacharias, her father, Elizabeth's husband, that his son, their son, would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And perhaps, we don't know this, but this might be when John is filled with the Spirit, right? when the Christ comes to him. When Jesus comes, he leaps for joy. Right? And this is what we see. God's presence with his people caused them to rejoice, caused them to rejoice, to leap. Just think about King David when he is bringing the Ark of the Covenant, that which symbolized God's presence to his people. He's bringing back the ark to God's people. What does he do? He leaps a lot. He dances joyfully, so much so that he loses some clothes, right? But he is leaping because God's presence is coming to his people. Think about the lame beggar in Acts chapter 3 who's been in this temple for years. And then Peter and John come to him and they speak the word of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up. What does he do? He leaps up. And then he starts dancing and praising God and leaping in the temple. That's what happens when the Christ comes. What is John doing? Right? What is John doing leaping about? We even get little baby John. He's not even born yet, but he is fulfilling his mission. Right? He is leading people to the Christ. You know, if he could have talked in utero, John may have said something like this: "Mom! Mom, that's him. Right? That's the Christ. That's the guy." Right? And it gives a little extra heel click to get her attention. Right? As, just as an aside, this is an important aside, um, but this is a wonderful passage showing the value and reality of life in unborn children. Right? If you ever want to have a passage to defend um, life beginning at conception, life even in the womb, you can look at this passage. Right? Here's the scene. You have an unborn John. He is paying homage to his Christ. Right? And this Christ was recently conceived. We don't know how old he is, but he is early. So this is either he's either an embryo right, or maybe a blastocyst. I asked to check on that on the internet. Right? But that's like the earliest stage of life. And that is what John is doing. He's honoring this Christ, who's a little cell. They are both capable of reaction, right? of emotion, of joy, of leaping. They're playing a part in God's story. Both are filled with the Spirit. So that's the side. So the Spirit is at work. The Spirit has filled Elizabeth 
and Elizabeth believes. Right? Remember, that's our first part. What gives you courage? Belief. Elizabeth believes that Mary is pregnant with the Christ. You think about it. Before this moment, Elizabeth didn't know about Mary. Right? When, when Gabriel told Zacharias about John, he didn't say anything about Mary or about Jesus specifically. Right? He did get his mission that the Lord was going to use John to prepare the way for the Christ, for the Lord. And before Mary is even able to come and share her good news, right? Can you believe what's happened to me? The Holy Spirit spoils the surprise, right? He lets Elizabeth know that Mary is pregnant with the Lord. Mary is the mother of your Lord. And Elizabeth is so happy, she's so thankful, she's so joyful that she bursts out in a loud voice. A better word is like she gives a joyful shout and gives three blessings. She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believes believed that there would be a fulfillment of those of what was spoken to her from the Lord. With a loud voice, she says, blessed, blessed, blessed are those who believe. Well, who's believed? Both Mary and Elizabeth have, have believed. So Elizabeth has believed that the Lord, believed the Lord's word to her husband, right? that this barren woman would conceive. Elizabeth believed that her son would be filled with the spirit even in her womb. And both of these women have believed that their, their Lord, their Christ would come. And it's right here. Right? It's in Mary. And when Elizabeth blesses Mary, you've got to note that she does it with, with humility, right? with a great humility. And there's the, the basic humbleness of having an older woman bless a younger woman, right? Usually it's the other way around. So she's the older woman. She lays on this blessing upon Mary. But I think there's a deeper humility that, ha- that she has. Elizabeth asks, why? Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Why do I deserve this, this great gift, this favor, that I can see my Lord, (laughs) right? And she's acknowledging that this little life inside of Mary's womb is her Lord, her Lord. And Mary uh, and Elizabeth has humility by laying aside her great news, right? What's her great news? I'm pregnant, right? I have been barren for years, and now I'm going to have a baby. She lays aside her great news for the greatest news that Mary has, that she is pregnant with the Christ. And maybe maybe she's not even thinking about this, but Elizabeth celebrates Mary. Elizabeth is not bitter. She's not slighted. Uh, that her good news was hijacked, right? Maybe they weren't even thinking about this because they're pretty holy women, right? 
But wouldn't you be thinking about that? It's like, hey, come on. What about me? What about my good news? What about giving me some of that blessing? But Elizabeth demonstrates what her son would soon do. What is, Mary, what is Elizabeth doing? I must decrease. He must increase. What is she doing? She is being humble. And this humility of hers, this firm confidence of knowing her Lord has come, produces a courage in Elizabeth. She's being courageous. I don't, I don't want to go too much into this, um, but notice that when, when she blesses Mary, she speaks with a loud voice. Right? Elizabeth, she speaks out, and she doesn't care who's, who hears, who knows. Right? What has she been doing for the last six months that she's been pregnant? She's been hiding. Right? She has been tucked away. She has been silent. No one has heard or seen anything of her. The Christ comes, and she shouts, joyful blessing. Yeah, so that is the belief, that is the humility, that is the courage that we see from Elizabeth. And up to this point, Mary has only been able to get a greeting out, right? She has received Elizabeth's words of blessing, of confirmation, of joy, and she believes them. She believes the good things that Elizabeth says to her. Mary has also believed what Gabriel spoke to her, that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, that she would conceive a child by the power of the Most High, and this child is the Christ, the Son of God. She believes that. She believes what the angel has said to her, and she worships. She believes, and then she worships. She sings forth. Hey, it was very providential that we had uh, the Magnificat played uh, before. That was not planned, a little gift from the Lord. But what does she do? She sings out her praises. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And when Mary sings... Her song, her prayer is saturated with the Old Testament scriptures, right? Um, there's so much, I mean, there's like a whole another sermon that we can go into of tracing how all of, so much of what she says is either quoting from the Old Testament or is just rich with the themes of the Old Testament, right? Mary knew her Bible. Right? You look at some of the great psalms of sung by women. She quotes Hannah's song. And there's themes from Miriam and Deborah. Right? She's probably a young teenage girl. Right? We don't know for sure, but she's probably about 14 to maybe 16 years old. Right? Any 14 to 16-year-old ladies out there? We got two. Okay, three. All right. This is a rich psalm that she sings. Why? Because she knew her Bible. Right? You just think about how many times she would have read or listened to the stories of these faithful women again and again. And knowing the Bible gives 
support to what she sings. Right, so she magnifies the Lord. Uh, John Piper, I think I've used this before, but he gives a great, uh, helpful explanation of the word magnify. Piper says that you can magnify something either like a telescope or a microscope. Right? And a microscope takes something that's itty-bitty, right? this little bacteria, right? and you look into it, and it makes it appear really big. That's what a microscope does. Something that's really small makes it appear big. But a telescope takes something that is already, I'm going to do some Piper motions, awesome, glorious, massive, right? And it makes it appear like it truly is. Right? You see that what is really is close, drawn near. So Mary magnifies the Lord like a telescope. Right? She is able to glimpse how glorious, how massive that the Lord is. Right? How can she magnify the Lord? Well, it's because the Lord has drawn near to her. Right? Christ has come to her. And so she sings. She rejoices. She says, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She rejoices because she knows, she believes that the baby inside of her is not just a son, more than a son. This is my Savior. This is my Savior. This is the one who will save me from my sins. And this, is, this verse is very useful in that it battles the Roman Catholic lie the false doctrine of the Immaculate Conception of Mary. Right? So the Immaculate Conception is they believe that Mary was sinless. She was a sinless virgin. We believe that she was a virgin and she sinned. Right? She was a sinner. So this false doctrine holds that Mary herself was conceived in her mother's womb without sin. Right, without any original sin. She was immaculate, right, without any sinful blemish. And the reason, the concern was that for Jesus to be born without sin, then the mother right, also has to be born without sin. Jesus can't be tainted by sin, therefore her, his mother can't be tainted with sin. But with generational sin, right, the way it's passed down is not through the mother, but is through the father, right? The woman is not the problem. The guy is the problem, as has long been suspected, right? Where the problem comes from, all the way back from Adam. So because uh, he, uh, Jesus is born without an earthly father, then he is sinless. But Adam was a sinner, so was Mary, and Mary knew she needed a savior. She needed someone to save her from her sins. And Mary's belief in Jesus as her savior and the Lord rises from her humility. She believes that the Lord has come. She believes that he is her savior, her Lord, her Christ. And this comes out of her humility. 
She says in verse 48 and 49, For he has regarded the lowly state of his handmaiden, his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And you hear that, like all generations after me are going to call me blessed. He's like, hmm, Mary, are you getting a little bit arrogant there? (laughs) Right? Like, I'm blessed. So blessed. Super blessed. And everyone's going to know it. Right? Is that arrogant? Well, no. Not because, not when Mary says it. Why? Because God has already called her blessed. God calls her blessed. And then so she owns that she is blessed. And the first thing that uh, Gabriel said to her um, is that you are uh, rejoice highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Mary knows that she is humbled. She knows that she's coming from a lowly estate. Right? She's coming from a poor background. She's coming from a nowhere town of Nazareth. Right? Remember, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Mary calls herself the Lord's maidservant. She's ready to hear and to do her master's bidding. Right? She knows she's not living in a palace. She knows she's not the queen mother. She knows she's humble. And she receives her identity from the Lord. She receives her identity from what God says about her. It says, Mary is blessed because the Lord has called her blessed And it's not wrong for her to know it, to own it. And she knows how she got there. He says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Mary knows that the Lord has done great things for her. A virgin has miraculously conceived. is going to give birth. That's a great thing. The Messiah, who's been so longed for, so hoped for, would finally come through her. That's a great thing. And she is exalted. She is lifted up. She is blessed because that is what the Lord has done for her. Mary believes it. She receives it. She owns this as her own. Like if you look through, this, especially in this first half of the song, all the times that she says, my. This is so full of first-person possession, right? This is my Lord, or my, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. God is my Savior. He who is mighty has done great things for me. This is what the Lord has done, and she receives it as her own. Right? Young women, right? this is how you get your identity. Right? What does God say about you? Not about what do these other people say about me. What do I say about me? What does God say about me? What has God done for me? And it takes humility to get your eyeballs off yourself. It takes humility to get your eyeballs or your mind off of what you think about yourself. True humility looks to the Lord. What has he done? What does he say? And because she humbly looks to the Lord and believes, 
sink. She's not ashamed. She's not afraid. She's not embarrassed of the scandal of, oh, that engaged girl is pregnant, right? Because she is confident in Christ, she has courage. She has a great courage. Mary believes that God has done great things for her. And she knows that this is not just for her. This is not just about me. Christ has come not only to Mary, but Christ has come for the world. She's come for the world, and she wants everyone, everywhere, to know this good thing, to see, to rejoice, to worship along with her. Right? This is the way that it works. Right? If you find a good thing, don't you want other people to know about it? Right? So this summer, I was at Winko, and I found a good thing. I found this amazing deal on bratwursts. Right? Usually brats go for like five brats for $4. I was going through the frozen section, and there were 14 brats for $5. 14 brats for $5. It's like, what? This is like, you get three times the brats for like the same price? This is a good deal, right? And I'm just like, and I can't contain it. Well, first I checked the expiration date, and they were not, you know, they were good. Like, it's like still eatable. And I'm telling people as they're walking by, it's like, have you, this is so great. Have you seen the brat deal? And then for like the next two weeks, I was telling people, we got such a great deal on these brats. Yeah, it's just so good. Mm. Um, this is probably a terrible analogy to compare. Um, the good news of the brat words, they do mean a lot to me. Uh, but Mary, Mary has the best news. Christ has come. Christ has come, and this is good news, not just for me, but for the world. And so she sings to the world. Right? This is what Christmas means to her. Right? This is her Christmas song. Verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. If this is Mary's song celebrating the coming of Christ, right? if this is her Christmas song, it doesn't quite sound like our American Christmas carols, does it? <laughs> right? There are no chestnuts roasting over an open flame. Right? There are no jingling bells. There are no red noses. Right? If you actually give a, a, an honest look into the face of this song, Mary's song is bold. And this is confrontational. She tells how Christ, when he comes, he has come, he's going to turn the world upside down. He's going to turn the world upside down in order to set things right turns it over to set things right. And notice that Mary puts all, all that the Lord's work is all in the past tense. Right? Everything that he said, she sings about is in the past tense. It says he has already scattered the proud. He has already put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. 
It's like Mary believes the victory has already been secured. The conclusion of the war has already been achieved. But you look around and you see that King Herod is still sitting on his throne. And the next chapter, he's going to try to kill Jesus. He's going to slaughter all these babies. He's still there. There are complacent priests. There are proud Pharisees. Caesar is the one who is still ruling the world on his throne. So what is Mary doing? She's believing. Mary knows, verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. God has not forgotten his people. God has not forgotten his promises. He's going to remember his mercy. His promises will be fulfilled. You remember that promise to Abraham that through his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so Elizabeth gives a blessing with a loud voice because she's already six months pregnant with the child who's going to prepare the way for her Lord. Mary believes that God has fulfilled the promise to Eve that her seed would one day rise up and crush the head of the serpent. And so Mary sings because she has already conceived the Messiah, the Savior, the one who is going to crush the dragon's head. It's already done. It's already done. Why? Because Christ has come. The conqueror is here. And so these women have Christmas courage. These women have courage. And these courageous women give birth to two sons and are raised to be courageous men. John and Jesus, they were raised up. How did they do this? How can we do this? How can we be courageous like Mary and Elizabeth, like John and Jesus? Know and believe God's word. Know and believe God's promises that he has given to his people. Right? Mary knew God's word. She was saturated in it. Right? I want to speak especially to women in this application. This is true for all, for all of us. Right? We all need to hear this. But this is a particular story about these faithful, humble, courageous women. So women, young women, older women, girls, teenagers, reflect on the prayers and the stories of women like Hannah and Deborah and Mary. Pick up your Bibles before you pick up your phones and check out Pinterest or scroll through Instagram. Get God's word in your heart so that way you can give it to your children. Know your Bible so that way you can give it. That's what Mary must have done. My guess is that when Jesus was born, he did not come out already having the Old Testament memorized. (laughs) Right? That would be nice, but I don't think he did. Right? But by the time he was a man, he knew God's word. 
I believe because Mary taught him. Man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus. Here's Isaiah 53. And because Mary taught him the word, Elizabeth believed the word for her son, and she encouraged him to go. Here's your mission, son. Go. These women were humble. They blessed God with a loud voice. Mary magnified the Lord. They rejoiced in God, my Savior. That's what real humility does. If you are humble, it leads you to worship. It leads you to rejoice in what God has done. Mary understood her low estate and how the Lord showed her mercy and exalted her. She was humble because she knew that the Lord has done great things for her. Has the Lord done great things for you? If he has, believe it. Be humble. Turn to him and worship him. What's the danger for us? The danger for us is that we will be proud. The danger for us is that we will believe that we're good. We got this great community. We got um, right kind of worship figured out. We got good Christian education. We got the answers. And in that we believe that we are good, we grow complacent. We grow complacent. We grow complacent like the scribes and the Pharisees in the next chapter when King Herod comes to them with the question, where, do you, where will the king of the Jews be born? Right. They had the right answer. Bethlehem. That's what Micah says. And that's it. Right. They had the right answers, but they were complacent, and they did not go and find their king. They did not go and worship their king. So beware of pride, Christ Church downtown. Beware of complacency. These men, John and Jesus, learned courage. Right? Just think about the courage of, of John. Called all men to repentance. He called the religious guys, you, you bunch of snakes. Right? He went after King Herod, like, oh, no, 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 you can't marry your brother's wife. And his courage got him arrested, got him thrown in jail, got his head chopped off. Humility follows Jesus like John followed Jesus. And we follow Jesus requires courage. Because what what happened to Jesus? His humility led him to the cross. He was persecuted. He was thrown in prison. And in that, Christ conquered. Christ came in order to die. And so he conquered tyrants and kings and proud Pharisees. And he conquered sin and death. And then he rose from the dead. And what do a people who follow a man who was murdered and rose from the dead have? Courage. You have the courage to say, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. What can touch you, Christian, if you follow Christ, your Savior, your King, your Lord? This is what 
Christmas courage gives to you. It gives you the courage, like Pastor Yi, to say, separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of this. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life, and no one can raise me from the dead. Say that in the eyes of the tyrant. Why? Because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the eternal God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my king, the king of the whole earth, yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant, and I am in prison because of this. And may we have the courage of our brothers and sisters like this. And may we have the courage of Mary and Elizabeth. May we have the courage of John. May we have the courage of Jesus Christ, who has come, who has conquered. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice at the great thing that you have done. Father, we ask that this would stir in us a courage that would be in all of our life, whether it is facing sickness or persecution or just the the fear to be able to say Merry Christmas to the checker at the store. Father, I pray that we would be humbled by the good things that you have done for us and that we would follow your son, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Because God had done great things for her, Mary sang. Mary sang because God had done great things for her. And God's people have always sung when God does great things for them. This is what happens after the Lord leads the Israelites through the Red Sea on dry ground. And they all look back and the seas crash together and swallowed up Pharaoh and his armies. And what happens? The people burst out singing. Think of Deborah. After God has given Israel a great military victory over Sisera, Deborah leads the people in song. Just think about all the psalms repeatedly singing about God's salvation. And we need to celebrate Christmas singing like Mary, Elizabeth, and even John. We should sing like Mary. We sing because God is at work and he has done great things for me. We should be like Elizabeth and bless with a loud voice. If God is showing up and fixing things and healing things, then don't give a half-hearted response or mumble or stand silently. Think about the birth announcements and who is the one silent guy? Zacharias. Because he did not believe and doubted that God would do mighty things, he was made mute. So he couldn't sing when his barren wife become pregnant. Right? He couldn't sing when the Christ came to his home. Don't be like Zacharias, but be like John, who leapt for joy. Right? You can even give a leap for joy. Right? Stodgy reformed people. It might just be a little, a little leap, but it's all right. 
right? Rejoice with what you have. Rejoice where you're at, right? If you're in your mama's tomb, the tomb, ha, that's awkward, right? Never mind, moving on. (laughs) Rejoice, right? Rejoice with what you got. If you have a voice, then you can sing. If you play the piano, play heartily. If you got the cello, if you got that trumpet, toot your horn. Boys, clash those cymbals. We want all of creation to join in the celebration, right? Rivers, clap your hands. Trees, put your hands up in the air. We invite everybody, everywhere to celebrate because Jesus Christ has come and is doing great things. Jesus came to a table and he did great things through his broken body and shed blood. And guess what Jesus and his disciples did after eating and drinking? They sang. They sang. Jesus Christ has come again, and he continues to do great things. So come and sing. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this great thing that you are doing here, that you are offering us your body and blood. Pray that even as we eat and drink, we would do it in faith that gives us a great courage, a great joy. We ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. So I'd encourage you all uh, to follow and stay informed and pray for our brothers and sisters over in Chengdu. Uh, You can uh, do that by going on uh, Facebook, and there's a a group called Pray for Early Rain Covenant Church. This is a a needed opportunity for us to pray for our brothers and sisters. And as I've been, there's there's a story of... This last you know, Sunday, today, yesterday for, for them over in China, um, the elders of the church encouraged the people and said, we will not go to home churches. That's our last resort. If there is still a qualified elder, pastor, seminary student, we will gather together as a church. We will come together and worship our God. And what happened is that those people who showed up at the church, many of them were arrested. And then the elders sent out another uh, email and say, today we worship in police cars. We worship in police stations, right? As we are driving in the police car, it is like we are moving towards Mount Zion. We have freedom to worship, right? But we also need what they have, right? Courage to worship. Now receive with believing hearts Christ's benedictions. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and power and dominion both now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.